from the Western Riverside Council of Governments. I'm Rachel Singer, and this is CODcast. Like many regions, the Inland Empire faces similar current and future issues that pose great opportunities and threats to our communities. Things like traffic, air quality, housing, and long-term financial security are just a few of these to name. Studies have found that the impact of automation in the Inland Empire leads us to be the fourth most vulnerable metro in the nation, with nearly 63% of all current jobs threatened to be automated over the next 20 years. Our region seems to be at a crossroads and perhaps may need a new strategy and plan to approach the future. Today, we are pleased to welcome Fred Walty, President and CEO at the Network for Global Innovation, to share his insight on how the Inland Empire can best position itself for the future. So Fred, thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, it's very uh, nice to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Um, And I come out to the Inland Empire a lot and uh, I'm going to be coming out more and more. So you are an entrepreneur, so can you tell us a little bit about how many companies you've started? Well, I, I counted the other day, and I uh, tried to start 11 companies, most of which were technology companies, not all of which. Uh, and of those 11 companies, um, I think seven of them got off the ground. Uh, six of them uh, achieved some kind of customers. Five made a little money. And one made a lot of money. So my track record is one out of 11, (laughs) uh, which is kind of, uh, I think, typical of an entrepreneurial life. Uh, We try a lot of things. Not all of them work. But we keep at it. And eventually, I hope, knock on wood, uh, we are successful. And so that's been my background. It's been in mainly software, Internet, and uh, some uh, some, uh, services. So with that experience, then what would you say is are some of the key attributes that make startups successful? Well, Rachel, if I knew that uh, <laughs> for sure, I would be... Uh, 11 see, out of 11. Yeah, I would be 11 <laughs> out of 11. Um, but I think uh, some of the keys are the following. One, the management team has to be committed and determined and all in. There's no um, part-time there's no, somebody once said you burn the bridge and you can't go back. It's kind of that uh, feeling that you have to really be determined and work hard at it. So a committed management team uh, is the first thing. The second thing, I think, is uh, matching what you're selling to whom you want to sell it to. Uh, we call that customer discovery, which is building the minimum viable product Uh, Not building the product you want, not building the product you think you can, but building the product that that your customers uh, or your potential customers want at a price point that is uh, the right price point. This presumes, of course, that you know who your customers are and what their problem is. So it's all about customer discovery is uh, incredibly important. And then I would just say the third uh, thing that's important from my perspective uh, in all those 11 uh, companies is to manage cash flow. And you have to manage that cash flow very, very astutely. And m- many times entrepreneurs get investments. And when they get investments, they, they spend a little bit quicker. And it's, it, to me, it's just the reverse of that. As soon as you get an investment, uh, you need to really uh, watch your cash. Um, and so I've uh, seen a lot of companies who didn't do that. 
uh, and they didn't make it. Yeah, definitely. So um, switching gears a little bit, we've discussed how in previous podcast episodes, how the Inland Empire is actually the fourth most vulnerable metro in the nation um, to automation with nearly 63% of all current jobs susceptible to being automated. So um, what's your response to this as an entrepreneur and what would you suggest as solutions? It's a big question. <laughs> well, I first heard that uh, at the uh, assembly and leadership uh, mm-hmm. uh, conference that the WRCOG did two or three weeks ago. And I think it was Professor Manis who, who presented the research study that said 63% of all jobs uh, were open to uh, automation. And my, uh, uh, was, I was shocked. Horror would be uh, a better way mm-hmm. of, of thinking about that. I don't think I've ever heard a research statistic that so clearly pointed out a community, and in this instance, a region-wide problem that's coming down the tracks very quickly, although we all think 20 years is a long time, it really isn't an economic development uh, time. Uh, and I was a little disappointed with the lack of urgency that I saw the people in the um, uh, room uh, exhibit. And I think maybe that's possibly because you know nobody really wants to recognize a huge problem without having the plan mm-hmm. to solve that problem. And that's really our job and what I want to do uh, in our project is to develop the plan to what I would call plan B uh, to uh, uh, shift the economy from a retail warehousing goods movement uh, basis to an innovation uh, driven economy. So can you describe simply what you just said, an innovation driven economy? What what exactly is that and does that differ from what we currently have here in the Inland Empire? Well, first of all, when I'm when I talk about innovation, I'm I primarily am talking about technology. Uh, companies that are developing some kind of technology uh, that uh, is in a growing market, so growth and technology. But what I'm really talking about is is creative thinking and creating something new. And so, new technologies mean new products and new products are created by new companies, and new companies sell those new products to new customers, that generates uh, not only revenue, but it also generates direct jobs and indirect jobs. Um, So the first thing about an innovation economy is it's an economy that's built uh, on on the concept of creating new technology companies and having them grow and having the number of them grow so that your economy is, is in fact driven by um, innovation. That is contrasted to a um, more conventional economic development uh, approach, which is usually either retail or real estate uh, uh, infrastructure uh, based. And in my experience, and I think many of the experience of the leadership in in the uh, Inland Empire is that when you uh, try to attract a a retail employer, what happens is is that retail employer shops their opportunity around to each of these communities and that results in tax breaks. And so already when you start uh, a new um, conventional uh, job uh, uh, company, what happens is is often that's cannibalizing other um, uh, businesses. So it's not really net new jobs in my uh, um, belief. 
There are a lot of benefits um, to an innovation-driven economy. And let me see if I can... Many people think that uh, an innovation-driven economy only benefits the entrepreneurs who create the, the companies. And I think that's uh, uh, wrong. And in fact, I know that's wrong from my experience. What happens is, is that when an entrepreneur starts a company, eventually that company grows. And that company doesn't need just entrepreneurs or just engineers. They hire a range of folks, salespeople, receptions, HR, accounting, uh, marketing. And as the company grows, they hire more and more. And what happens with that is those jobs tend to be, not always, but the jobs tend to be family-supporting, full-time jobs with benefits. That allows uh, uh, the direct hires to... Uh, participate more and more in what I would call lifestyle uh, purchases, you know, um, going out uh, to, to a restaurant or uh, having a gym membership or uh, a whole range of things that people do uh, to live their life and to have fun. Uh, and it also, what's also important is that that company does business with other companies in that region. And, you know, it could be an advertising firm, it could be uh, a strategy firm, it could be a, a real estate firm, and so it, it generates what we call um, direct and indirect jobs. And so when a company creates a job, that has an indirect uh, effect, and that uh, that is called a mul multiplier. And the multiplier for innovation companies and technology companies is much higher than the multiplier for retail or um, uh, other kinds of uh, low impact uh, jobs. So I think that that what happens is that we create higher quality jobs, we will create more of them, they will continue to grow over time. They will in fact uh, have a fueling effect to the rest of the economy and that will generate revenue which will generate a tax base, the tax base will increase, that increased tax base will allow um, the cities and communities that these companies reside in to be able to pay for and provide all kinds of city services. Mm -hmm. So if I'm hearing you correct, um, you're saying that in helping establish new technology companies, that really catalyzes this multiplicity effect with creation of new jobs um, throughout a community. So do you have a, maybe a figure or a number of what that could look like for every one job created in new technology, well, what that the, would look like? You know, those numbers vary by the source, but we look at that and we think that the indirect number is seven job, seven indirect jobs for every uh, job created by that company. That compares to a, a multiplier of less than two for retail-oriented jobs. So it's a seven versus two uh, um, comparison. So it's quite a bit more impactful. Mm -hmm. So I think that the innovation economy, uh, innovation-driven economy sounds great, but I think that there might be a lot of hesitations within, from a public sector perspective, to try and even begin to implement something like this. So how would you recommend starting this process? Well, it's a good question. I, I think, first of all, there needs to be a, a recognition of what we want to do. And that starts with the leadership of uh, the public side. That's uh, leadership uh, of the elected officials as well as policy and staff uh, folks. An agreement to the direction. I would uh, summarize the direction that I'm recommending is an innovation-driven economy that, you know, our mission should be to build that um, by 2030, which is 
you know, uh, 11 years, and that's pretty rapidly, but we should have some milestones and be able to achieve some real results. Uh, then. The, then beyond leadership, what we need, of course, is to build innovation engines. Those are like incubators and accelerators and technology parks. We need to link those incubators to, so, uh, to funding sources. We need to link those um, innovation engines to the sources of ideas, u the universities and colleges around. Um, and then we need to connect all of this together uh, to the various stakeholders, whether that be CARB, whether that be the chamber, whether that be um, uh, the utilities. There's a range of stakeholders that we need to put together so that the public side can coordinate this and lead the, the vision, but in partnership with the private side. One of the things that we've, uh, that I believe is that um, in a public-private partnership, it is really a, a partnership. We should let each uh, um, side do what they do best. Uh, entrepreneurs are the folks that build companies uh, the best. They're the ones that should be providing the support and ideas to help entrepreneurs. Public officials are best at um, policy and developing infrastructure and providing services. Um, and so a marriage of the public-private side means that we marry entrepreneurship with policy and connections and uh, resources. Now, I will say that in order to successfully build a innovation economy, the public side has to become more innovative as well. Uh, I think that one of the things that will happen over time is that the public institutions will become uh, more innovative and will, there will be an entre entrepreneurial culture will and can be uh, developed. And that uh, uh, entrepreneurial cu culture means that they're allowed to try new things because their job is not just to do their job. Their job is to, in fact, try to figure out ways to do their job better. That's creativity. That's innovation. That's what w we all need to do in order to grow and to be competitive. So I think that the public side having, over time, recognizing the importance of entrepreneurship, and, and that means trying things, uh, not always successful, and then building things from that, and creativity. I think that's uh, really a, a key part of this whole future. Mm -hmm, definitely. So in my research before the podcast, I noticed that you had, you've played a really incremental role in helping start the Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator, um, which is a successful um, initiative founded in Los Angeles. And so really building off of those public-private partnerships. And so can you explain or maybe um, describe how those partnerships played out? Well, yes, I was the co-founder and founding CEO of the Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator, which is a business assistance organization focused on helping clean technology entrepreneurs. We define clean technology very broadly, everything from energy, of course, to transportation, to there's a lot of ag tech kinds of things. Anyways, it's focused on, on providing help on, on those kinds of businesses. We formed a separate uh, nonprofit organization, and we put all of the resources that that uh, initiative needed into that um, uh, nonprofit. That nonprofit was funded partially by the city of Los Angeles, partially by the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, partially from some uh, private sources as well. And over time, uh, the proportion 
of the budget that the Los Angeles uh, uh, city contributed became much smaller as the organization grew in success and in the ability to, to uh, attain and attract more money. But it was it, coming back to your question of what kind of public-private partnership we created, it was very, very unique. I'm, I'm very, um, uh, actually been thrilled for the last uh, six years to work with the folks of LA because they were just as committed as we were. They were, they were very bright. They knew what they could contribute and they let us do what we could contribute, which was building companies or helping entrepreneurs build companies. So together, knowing our, our collaborative roles, we built a, a pretty important institution and an innovation hub that is in many ways driving uh, clean technology adoption and production uh, in Los Angeles. Totally, definitely. So in your experience, not only starting your own companies, but then watching the Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator come to life and be really successful, what would you say are five things that the public sector can learn from these startup companies? Hmm. That's a tough question. Um, <laughs> so here's what I think. I think that they can um, learn how to uh, make the entrepreneur the center of their activities and, and make uh, their organizations more entrepreneurial focused and having an entrepreneur culture. That means that they need to learn how to try new ideas in a controlled way. So. Um, I'll give you, uh, uh, here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not suggesting that all public uh, organizations uh, experiment in a willy-nilly fashion and do all kinds of, of <laughs> unscripted uh, initiatives. That's not what I'm really talking about. What I'm talking about is trying innovation in a very, uh, in, a, in a controlled manner that, that mitigates and reduces risk. How does that one happen? Well, uh, it means that, for instance, you could uh, harness the purchasing power of every department within this city and county and all of this by providing that department with a very, very, very small percentage of its budget allocated to uh, trying early adopter products and technologies. Um, that would allow it to search for the best, uh, would minimize its risk, but yet it would drive the development of these technologies within its market. So that's one way of a controlled um, uh, innovation uh, capability that the public could drive. Also, of course, is what we're uh, trying to do here, which is building an innovation engine. Um, and that is a, a supplying the, the resources and leadership to do that is a really important uh, aspect. Um, you know, we should all, probably also learn that, you know, we can't all do uh, the same thing really well. I probably would not be a very good uh, policy uh, person, but I am a pretty good mm -hmm. entrepreneur, and the reverse also holds true, mm -hmm. that we should figure out a way of identifying and then harnessing people to do what they really are good at. Definitely. It takes a collaborative effort, like you've been saying this um, interview. So looking forward, what are some of the key markers or initiatives that would be crucial to the success of the Inland Empire over the 50 years, given um, that we are the four, fourth most vulnerable metro in, in the nation, which is just a daunting fact to begin with? What, how, do we, how do we ensure a, more, a better future for our generations here? The first thing that needs to get done is a socialization and acceptance and, a and, and 
getting behind an innovation-driven economic development strategy. That is the single most important thing that can be done. That is the second most important thing that can be done. <laughs> that is the third most important thing that can be done. And once that's done, once everybody's pulling in the same direction, then we can go about building an innovation ecosystem throughout the region. And that innovation ecosystem will have uh, funding. It will have entrepreneurs. It will have participation of all of the public side. It'll be a place that really attracts um, uh talent because it is a place where talent can thrive and young people can thrive. The metrics that we should look at over a period of time are things like, well, household income, you know, that needs to go have a, a positive trend line. The uh, unemployment rate needs to have a negative tre tre trend line. Um, the kinds of jobs that we have here and the kinds of companies need to shift from uh, as I mentioned, uh, goods movement, retail, uh, and other um, lower skilled jobs to um, more highly skilled and higher paying jobs. And you can see that uh, over time as well. Hopefully that by doing that, uh, 50 years from now, I hope we can do it a lot quicker than 50 years, <laughs> uh, the um, Inland Empire area will develop a reputation as being a place where young entrepreneurs not only uh, want to start their businesses, but want to stay and want to uh, uh, come. And that is all about developing the right kind of innovation ecosystem and providing the right kind of environment for those entrepreneurs, which is not only the right kind of working environment, but you know everybody likes to work, play, and live in the same area, and it kind of needs to go together. Mm -hmm, definitely. Well, that is that is no small task to transition um, to the innovation-driven economy, but I think that it really does seem like the Inland Empire is at a crossroads to be able to start initiating things that will last long into the future. And so um, we're really thankful for your time on the podcast. And so um, do you have any final remarks before we sign off? It's been uh, very nice to uh, be here, and I'm very um, optimistic that we can make something really uh, pretty thrilling happening in, in the Inland Empire. Wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. The Western Riverside Council of Governments, also known as WRCOG, exists to unify the Western Riverside County so that it can speak with a collective voice on important issues that affect its members. For more information on WRCOG and the COGCAST, please visit us at www.wrcog.us.